In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Obviously, today is Reformation Sunday, a time in the fall where we always sort of rejoice how the Lutherans went against those pesky Catholics. We like to focus on Luther. This past week, John Carpenter's wife, Jana, sent me a photo of John dressed up like Martin Luther, leading a Bible class with the youth group at his fieldwork church. It wasn't that appealing, and I told him, go to seminary, it's great, until you have to dress up. The Reformation is not about Luther. It's not about Luther driving nails into church doors with the 95 Theses. The Reformation is deeper and broader than even that. And I would dare say that we really don't live in a 16th century world. The church is not engaged in 16th century questions that Luther and the Reformers faced in the church. We are actually more in the 1st through 3rd centuries today in the world that we live in. The 1st through 3rd churches, 3rd century churches, dealt with two primary questions. Who am I as a human being? And who is God? Is there even a God? If you think about it, it fits today. It fits today, not that we discard the Lutheran confessions or the work that Luther did, but it is a time for us as the church, as always, with Reformation and every Sunday, to re-examine where we are as a church, but also where we are at in the world today. Who am I? Who is God? Jesus says today, the truth will set you free. But how do you define the truth? What is true for you is probably not true for me. What is true for the church is not true necessarily for the world. Do you remember truth? Do you remember when things seem to be pretty simple about the truth? I mean, where are we supposed to go today with that word truth? I have my truth. You have your truth. The church stands or falls according to scripture on what the truth is and who Jesus really is. And the world falls into these multiple categories about what truth is. Who am I? Think about it. We live in a world that cannot define truthfully who is a man or a woman. There are so many in our society today that look at things like biology and gender and other things and simply say, well, this is not exactly what I believe or I find to be the truth. Who am I? We can't even agree when life begins. Is it at conception? Is it at so many weeks or months? Is it when the child enters into the world through birth. Who am I? We look at the aged, the elderly, the shut-in, 
the people with long-standing diseases and suffering, and we simply say, it's okay to put them down like your dog or your cat, rather than actually looking at them as a fellow human being and taking care of them, taking on the the many ways that we are given to take care of our brothers and sisters, in many ways sharing with their suffering. Who am I? Who is God? How long do you have with that second question? We could go for hours and hours on end. Many of you would probably get up after the first hour and say, I'm done. But that question is so broad and so wide with the multiple religious views of all of the various religions and people throughout the world. Even those people who say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. That is a religion. That is a confession of some sort of faith. I don't really know if there is a God, but I do know that there is some sort of supreme power. That is a religion. That is a confession of faith. I don't believe in any kind of God whatsoever. That is a religion. That is a confession of faith. It's fascinating. Several years ago, I read a little article online about the atheist movement throughout the world. The atheist movement basically says, though, there is no God. But the atheists were actually saying, We need to come together. We need to come together in our communities with fellow atheists. And we need to encourage and read fellow atheists' literature. We need to encourage and embolden one another in our atheism. Well, what are you doing here today? What are they modeling after? Who is God? We could go all over the place. I am convinced by my truth. You are convinced by your truth. But in reality, it's all my personal opinion versus yours. It's important to note even more so today that you are not allowed to object to anybody's notion of truth, no matter how detached from reality it is. You all of a sudden are told that you are phobic, you are brutal, you might as well be a terrorist with your views and thoughts of truth. The book of Romans speaks about this. It states that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteous men who suppress the truth. We just said a few moments ago the uncomfortable truth. We don't begin... Sunday morning with the holy howdy, how y'all doing, good to see you. We simply come in and speak about the truth of where we are. If you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad as people out there. I'm not as bad as that dude in Maine who shot up people randomly and in a horrific way. I'm not as bad as the people who commit various sorts of crimes or various sorts of sins. But yet we begin not mentioning specific sins, but we talk about these things 
in thought, word, and deed. We simply acknowledge that we have this thing called sin and it's not ever going to go away. The truth about sin as well is not only does it condemn us to death, the whole truth of why we die, but that idea of the truth of sin is evident all over the place. The idea of sin is shouting at you each and every day. The horrific tragedy in Maine, the constant war taking on in the Middle East and Ukraine, the debates amongst all the political parties, the arguments and divisions amongst families and against even neighbors or co-workers. The truth is out there, and we can suppress it all that we want, but the truth is not always pretty. We may deny it, we may not actually acknowledge it, but God's law also is written on your heart. You and I do have a conscience, and God can work in that conscience and does work in that conscience through His Word, no matter how much we try to suppress it. The Gospel of John that we heard today emphasizes so much about truth. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Offensive! How dare you speak against other religions, other faith movements, other views about who God is, or whether or not we are actually supposed to go to the Father, that seems a little narrow-minded, or whether or not there is truly even a thing called eternal life. Jesus doesn't come back and say, I, I didn't mean that. Let me define this even more. What he says in that simple little statement, I am the way and the truth of and the life, speaks about who he is as a human and who God is. You may remember from the Old Testament, God says, I am who I am. Jesus, in that language from John, uses the same language. The great I am of the Old Testament is the way, the truth, and the life. And that great I am who could not be named, who could not be seen without somebody dying, is now in human flesh and blood. Who is God? Who is man? They come together in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of what the early church faced and what we face today is beautifully answered in the life of Jesus Christ. He's not this moral great teacher or best friend of people. He is true God and true man. No other religion of the world speaks of God in this way. God coming down, God being hungry, God eating and drinking and sleeping on a boat because he was tired. God weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who died. We do not have a great high priest who cannot relate to us, but who relates to us in every manner, shape, and form, even unto death. 
That's the beauty about the simple questions, but the simple answer found in the God of Christianity. But it's too narrow-minded. But I will say, for those that I have had the joy of catechizing of different religions and views, have found great comfort in this. I had one gentleman who was a Muslim in Charlotte that looked at Allah as the great law bringer. The word Muslim or Islam simply means obedience, the obedient way. I kind of wonder why they haven't translated that to English today. If somebody said, well, I follow the way of obedience, or you need to become a part of the way of obedience, think of how people's minds would explode. But this man would say that Allah is this one who gives the truth of his law and makes you obedient. You got to follow the five tenets of Islam in order to be saved. Now all of a sudden, Jesus though was not a prophet revealing in the scriptures to him, but Jesus was God who has come down in human flesh and blood. Not sitting in the sky with a bunch of rules and laws that you have to be obedient to in order to find eternal life, but as one who came to fulfill the law for you and for me. Jesus himself experiences this, though. You know famously on Good Friday what Jesus heard from Pilate. What is truth? Jesus is always speaking about himself being the truth when you hear that in the Gospels. But by hearing Jesus' word, not only do we learn about sin, our sin, and the sin of the world, but you also get to know Jesus by faith. He changes you by faith given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He opens up your eyes to the reality of His truth, to the reality that this world is broken. It is busted. And as much as you desire it, it's not going to get any better. The truth that Jesus speaks of is not some sort of opinion. It's the truth that sets you free. Think about it. Think about the world today. Everything I just listed and everything that keeps you up at night, restless and concerned, full of fears and anxiety, do you really want to put all of your eggs in the basket of the world? Do you really want to live so much for this world and yet deny what Jesus says about the truth setting you free? You are in the world, but you are not of the world, says Jesus. And that is the great joy of what the Reformation was all about. Luther said, in many ways, let's get back to the basics of what God has established in the church. And that's all we're trying to do today. We don't have great debates about how one is saved by faith alone or by their works attached to faith. We have bigger questions that we have to answer first. And yet in all of this, we're reminded of the truth of what Jesus has given to us by his forgiveness, life, and salvation. 
and the fact that you are now not alone in this world. It's scary. It seems like you're all alone with your thoughts and your views. But Jesus himself says, He who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who has sent me. But in all of this we come around his truth today, which John said in Revelation is the eternal gospel. I was sharing with the Wednesday night Bible class that it's good to read the book of Revelation. Every time I have taught the book of Revelation at a church, Bible class doubles. Because people want to know about this mysterious book, the spooky things about the dragons and the beasts and everything else. And yet in Revelation 13, prior to our reading today from 14, you have the images of the great dragon and the beast. You have this great image of how de the devil is alive and well here on the earth. And the beauty about Revelation is, is that John gives us little images of the devil, the four horsemen, which are not coming but are here now. John gives us these images, but then he always follows through with the gospel. Revelation 13, bad, scary, frightful. Revelation 14, I saw an angel with an eternal gospel. Eternal truth, even for you and for me in the good old 21st century. The truth of that gospel is, is that Jesus has set you free from the power of sin by his word. By that same word, he curbs you and pulls you away from the sin with his law. He shows our sins, not to make us feel absolutely terrible and not worthy, but to break up ourselves, our pride, our love of sin. But most importantly, he shows us that to set us free. True God, true man, born just like you and me, doing all things that humans do, yet without sin, but not as an example or as a teacher, but to set you free from your sin. Romans said it today, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Think about what it is that has enslaved you your worldview, your politics, your bank account, your technology. Oh my word, what we can talk about with that as well. He breaks us free of those things to set us free. The salvation that Jesus has won for you impacts you, though. By granting you faith to cling to Christ alone, you are freed from the burden of trying to justify yourself or trying to give some sort of explanation about the truth. You are given forgiveness despite your sin. Where there is forgiveness, there too is life and salvation. And Jesus does even more than that, because as you go out into this world of darkness, you go out, as Luther says, as little Christs. You do not go out as your own, but you go out with him who is with you always to the very end of the age. And in this dark, busted, and dying world, you go out as people of salt and light and mercy and love. Think of how much the world needs that as well. 
But this is not you doing it on your own. It is Jesus Christ doing these works in and through you to serve your neighbor and to provide a proof that you are living in Christ. You are no longer living to yourself, but Christ is living in you. And Jesus keeps coming to you with his word of truth. Attaching himself to the waters of baptism, dining on his truth here today to be forgiven and also strengthened in this faith that he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. Bringing you forgiveness and life and accompanying you in your battles against sin and all of the battles that you face out there. That is the true nature of spiritual warfare. It's not us going out with our Bibles ready to beat people over the head. It's us, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, standing in the Word of God, in the truth and the righteousness that God has given to us, and calling, as Luther likes to say, calling in the champion when we are tempted by sin or the world rejects this. Calling in the champion take on the devil's world and the devil's fight against us. And one little word can fell him. That one little word made flesh. True God and true man for you here today. Giving you himself, his true body and blood for your forgiveness. Giving you the divine nature of God given to you that he may restore you. That, by the way, is even why we have two candles on the altar. Not because we've always had it that way, but those two candles show us the light of Christ who covers all of the darkness of the world, and they show for us that as they are lit, as the altar is set, you receive Jesus Christ who is true God and true man. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing that has been placed into your presence here today, not by how much you think and meditate and everything else, but that you may simply receive the eternal gospel and that by that word and by faith in the Holy Spirit who is now working in us, we see that Jesus Christ's love and truth for you is bigger than any of your sins that you have committed bigger than any of your errors or denying of the truth. It is bigger than Satan and all of the world. His love, his gospel conquers them all. And so we can truly say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>